0: How's it going, everyone? You guys ready to dive into God's Word this morning? Awesome. Highly encourage you to uh, sign up for these next 40 days of prayer. It really is a life-changing life experience when you encounter the Lord through the Holy Spirit through prayer. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. Let me just say this for those of you who don't have a Bible this morning. You will feel lost and naked if you are not in the text with us. We are going to be looking at a very large chunk of Scripture The remaining verses in Acts chapter 5, 30 verses this morning, so we've got a lot to cover, but you're going to see this is really an incredible story. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 42, I won't make you stand, there's a lot of verses here, but let's just enter in with this story together, starting in verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. And they were with one accord in Solomon's portico. And none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried out the sick into the streets, and laid them on cots and mats, so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also the people from Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. But the high priest rose up, along with the associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. And now when the high priest and the associates came, they called together the council, even the senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison to have these men brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison. They returned and reported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards were standing at the door. But when we had opened them up, we found no one inside. Now the captain of the temple, the guard, and the chief priest heard these words, and they were greatly perplexed about what would come of this. But someone came and reported back, The men whom you put in prison... They're standing in the temple and teaching the people. It's awesome. And the captain went along with the officers, proceeded to bring them back. Notice this time without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them back before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one who God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. And so we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and intended to kill them. And a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by the people, stood up before the council and gave them orders to put these men outside. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care for what you propose to do. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined him, but he was killed, and all who followed him had dispersed. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the sentence and drew away from the people too, but he too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone." For if this planner of action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may be found fighting against God. They took his advice. After calling the apostles in, they beat them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, Then they released them. They went on their way in the presence of the council rejoicing where they had considered themselves worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. What an awesome story, isn't it? There's no way I can do justice to all 30 verses. We will look at this story in detail. But I want to have us focus on three points this morning according to the text. Number one, and I believe this is the overall theme message of the entire text this morning. Our God cannot be stopped. Now if there was a good time in the message for an amen, it was right there. I'll give you another chance. Our God cannot be stopped. It's Awesome. The second thing that you will see in this text is this. The fundamental chief characteristic of discipleship is obedience. You will see this in the apostles' life throughout this entire story. And the third point we will look at, very challenging point, is this. It's the Christian life will be marked by suffering. Well, let's dive in together. Look at verse 12 with me. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. Now what you see here is the beginning of the apostolic ministry. Sight was coming to the blind, the lame were walking, the deaf were being brought back to life. This was the power of the apostles in their ministry from the Holy Spirit. So you see this happening. Notice what it says in verse 12, at the hands of the apostles, signs and wonders were taking place. Verse 13, but none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. You remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, these guys just went down, so the people that were hanging out with the apostles, they were like, Hey, I don't want to talk to these guys. You talk to these guys. They were giving the apostles their space. But notice what happened, they still held the apostles in high esteem. There was incredible respect for Christian leadership. Verse fifteen or verse fourteen. I love what Luke does here. He just stops counting. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women constantly were being added to their number. At Pentecost, 3,000 souls. Then later, 5,000 souls. Then last week, another large number. Luke just is like, dude, I'm done counting. He just says, more than ever, people are coming to Christ. Multitudes of men and women. The power of the Holy Spirit is moving and changing lives at a rapid pace. Verse 15. To such an extent, they carried the sick out to the streets and laid them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. Now, it's important for us to remember that in the ancient times, it was believed that a person's shadow had supernatural and magical healing power. Many people believe that the apostles had this as well, that Peter's shadow could actually heal someone. I'll tell you my stance on it. I don't know. I don't see enough evidence in the text because the text does not say that Peter's shadow healed them. What it does say in verse 12 is at the hands of the apostles, healings were taking place. Verse 16. And all the people of Jerusalem, they kept coming together. They kept bringing the sick and the afflicted and the unclean spirits. And notice this, they were all being healed. You see the apostolic ministry now just growing and flourishing. And God is on His move to make His name great in this world. Now notice verse 17. But the high priest rose up along with his associates. This is the Sadducees, the religious leaders and the rulers of this day. And notice what they were. They were filled with jealousy. Your version might say that they were filled with violent jealousy. So the question we should ask is, why are they jealous? Well, they're jealous because of the verses we just looked at. All the people are hanging out with the apostles. They're not spending time with the religious leaders of the day. The apostles are healing people left and right, and so they're filled with jealousy. Notice the jealousy doesn't just start in their heart. They decide to act upon their jealousy in verse 18. What do they do? They lay hands on the apostles. This means they arrested them. They seized them with force and threw them into the public prison. Now I don't know about you, but I started thinking about the apostles and their reaction to this right here. And I was thinking, man, this is what we get for following Jesus? I didn't sign up for this. I don't know about you, but we were doing fine and now we're being thrown into prison. Do you think they were saying this to themselves? Do you think Thomas was like, I doubt this was supposed to happen? I don't think that's what was going on. I think the apostles were in jail, seeing this as another opportunity to preach the gospel. I think they were looking at the guards in the jail and they're like, hey man, we got some good news for you. Later in the book of Acts, you see when they're thrown in prison, it says that the apostles rejoiced and sang and worshipped and preached in the name of Jesus while they're in prison. These guys are an awesome testimony of the faith of Christ. But guys notice this, this brings us to our first point that our God cannot be stopped. Look at verse 19. But during the night an angel of the Lord opened the gates to the prison and took them out. As I just I just wrote down here in my notes that the religious leaders of the day they had stopped the message that God had started. By putting the apostles in prison, they silenced the message of Jesus from going out. If you understand this, men in and of his day will try to do whatever they can to get their own way. They tried to silence the message of Jesus Christ. I wonder if our God's like just sitting up in heaven thinking, this is funny. Like you think that you can actually overthrow me? That doesn't happen. I'm the God who spoke the world into the universe. And notice this, our God cannot be stopped. If He wants His message, His will, His plan, His purposes to carry on, no one can stop them. I love this. We have to talk about angels just for a minute here this morning because it's in the text. I don't want to give you a huge scope of a theology of angels. But the essence of an angel is that they're messengers. And the essence of being a messenger is that you're sent by someone to bring a message. So notice how God, who even though it doesn't say it in the text, He clearly sent the angels to do His work. He gave the angels a specific message to the apostles. Look at verse 20. Go stand and speak to the people where in the temple. The whole message of this life. Now I don't know about you, but on a human level, this doesn't seem like the smartest idea ever given. Can you imagine the apostles have got to be like, hold on a minute. Thanks for letting us out of prison. We're really grateful for that. But you want us to go back and do exactly the thing that God has thrown us into prison In the first place, you guys think they were thinking this? Maybe I probably would be thinking this. I think the apostles were like, dude, we're hanging out with an angel right now. He just let us out of prison. So we're going to say, yes, sir. (laughs) So what happens? They ask the apostles to go back. He's basically saying, guys, Jesus gave you a message. I'm giving you a free pass here. Get back to work. Go back to the temple and preach the name of Jesus to all who need to hear the gospel. This is my favorite part in this entire passage. Notice this. He says, and go speak the whole message of this life. This is really an incredible point here. Luke is describing the gospel as a life. I want you all just to look up here for a minute because I believe this is so important. This word gospel is used and thrown around almost to a a negative degree today. Because I believe a lot of us in this room think that the gospel is a prayer. I believe some people think the gospel is a word that we use in church on Sunday. A lot of us believe that the gospel is something that is supposed to come out in a sermon and Luke makes it very clear that the gospel is a life. Guys, God out of His deep, Passionate love for you and me. He demonstrated that love by sacrificing His Son for one reason. He sent His Son to the world to save people from their sins. When you understand the reality and this takes shape in your heart and you turn from your sin and embrace Jesus Christ by faith, this changes everything. Your perspective is different. Your way of thinking is different. Your goals and objectives are different because you have been changed by the gospel. It will affect your entire life. And I love what Luke does here. He says, Go back to the temple and speak the message of this life. This is the gospel. I love how the apostles respond to the angel here. They're like... Um, well, this is a great idea, but we're going to spend some time praying about it. We got a board meeting on Wednesday. We'll get together collectively. We'll put our heads together and we'll make a decision and then we'll decide if we want to go. Do they say that? Do they say that? No, they just do it. Notice verse 21. Upon hearing this, they entered the temple about daybreak and began to teach. I was reminded this week in Genesis chapter 22 when God came to Abraham and asked him to offer up his son Isaac, Genesis 22.3 says that early the next morning he left. One of the overall theme messages of understanding following Jesus is living a life of obedience the apostles obeyed and went right away. This is awesome. Let's continue on in the story. Now the high priest, this is my favorite part of the story, the high priest and the associates, they called the whole council together. Even the Senate of the sons of Israel, you've got here like a congressional hearing. So all the big kahunas and the big dogs, the religious leaders of that day, they're going to come together and talk to the apostles. But see, this is funny because of the way that Luke wrote it we know something that these guys don't know. Can you see it in the text? So they have the officers in verse 22 go to the prison. They realize, hey, there's nobody in the prison. Now we have to go back to the religious council and report back. So they're like, uh, we've got three pieces of good news for you and two pieces of bad news. And the religious leaders are like, okay, well, what's the good news? We found the prison. Can you see it there right in the text in verse 23? We found the prison. Good. Good. I hope there's something else. The doors are securely locked. Good. Good. We're really off to a good start today. What's the third piece of good news? The guards, they're standing at the door. So the council's like, okay. What's the problem? Verse 23. But when we opened them, we found that there was no one inside. Can you imagine the faces of the religious leaders at this point? they got to just be like... Notice what the text says in verse 24. So awesome. Now the captain of the temple and the guards and the chief priest heard these words and they were greatly perplexed. I love the original meaning here. It actually means that they were losing it. What do you mean they're not there? We just put them in prison last night. The guards are standing at the door. They're locked. Why is nobody there? Oh, and you said that you have a second piece of bad news? What could be worse than this? Verse 25. The men in the prison... You know those guys that you locked up? Not only are they not there, but they're standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Now I just look at the faces of the religious leaders and I think it turns from perplexity to just, oh, like they got to be frustrated at this point. What are you talking about? This is the whole reason why we arrested these guys in the first place. Guys, just look up here for a minute. Our God. You can't stop him. You cannot stop our God. He is too powerful. He's too mighty. Isaiah 6 says right now that our God is sitting on a throne. He is high and exalted. He's not wringing his hands. He's not pacing back and forth. Our God doesn't suffer from panic attacks. Our God is completely and unalterably in control. And no one on the face of this earth can stop Him. If He wants His message, His plan, His will to be done, no one can stop our God. It is an awesome, awesome reality. I love this in verse 26. Notice the contrast in the way that they go back to arrest the apostles. Look at verse 26. The captain, along with the officers, they proceed to go over to the temple and bring back without violence. Verse 18 says they had force. They seized them. They arrested them. They threw them in prison. Now they come over to the apostles who are at the temple and it's got to go something like this. Uh, Apostles could we uh, have a word with you guys for a minute? I mean, clearly something has happened. If it's okay, actually, if we could do this on the side, not in front of these people, and just talk to you guys for a minute, the council wants to see you again. Notice the change. First, they're throwing them in prison. Now they're bringing them back to the council without without violence. They are afraid that the people will stone them. Verse 27, they bring them back before the council. And the high priest questioned them. We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. Did you guys not get the memo? Did you not understand clearly what we were asking you to do? We were asking you specifically not to talk about someone. We were asking you specifically not to use a specific name. Guys, this is so important here. Notice this, the high priest will not use the name of Jesus. Guys, it's all about the name of Jesus. Continuing on in verse 28. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and attend to bring this man's blood upon us. See, he just won't say the name. Guys, I can give you story after story, verse after verse in the book of Acts. It is all about the name of Jesus. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you will be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 3.6, Peter says, I don't possess silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus. Acts 4.10, let it be known to you that at the name of Jesus, this man stands. Acts 4.18, when they summoned them and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Acts 5.40, after calling the apostles, they beat them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. It's all about the name. It is all about the name. I will say to you this morning, guys, I believe it's this very thing that separates the sheep from the goats. It is the name of Jesus Christ. Now, notice verse 29, they're before the council, and this brings us to our second point here this morning. Look at the response of Peter and the apostles. Verse 29, and Peter says, we must obey God rather than man. The fundamental chief characteristic of discipleship is obedience. You see it all over the text. Peter here is on trial for his life. He is standing representing the apostles. They are strictly charging them not to speak in his name. And how does Peter respond? He says this, our allegiance is to God. He understands most likely by saying this, that him and the apostles will be killed and be put to death, but he stands in obedience to Christ. It's awesome. 1 John 5.3 says, This is love, that you obey my commands, and my commands are not burdensome. This is obedience to Jesus. This is the fundamental chief characteristic of discipleship. It isn't about coming to church. It's not about attending small group. It's not about whether or not you read the Bible in a year. It is your obedience to Christ and what He calls you to do in this life. This will separate the reality of you saying that you have a relationship and actually your life being and living as an example of Jesus Christ. It's our obedience to Him. I love Galatians 1.10. I pray that this would just minister to all the people-pleasers out there this morning. Galatians 1.10 says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Well, notice this, what Peter does. He doesn't just say with his mouth. He doesn't just use words and say we're going to obey God. He does it. I love Peter here. He blazes the gospel right in the face of the religious leaders. Look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. You won't say the name. I'll use it in the first line. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand. You're asking us to dishonor Jesus. God has already honored Jesus by exalting Him to His right hand. This is a place of honor. As a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Let me just say here, I don't believe that the religious leaders understood this. But what Peter is laying out in verse 31 is the entire heart of the gospel. When you understand the reality of your conversion in your heart, there are two things that take place. Number one, it's repentance. And number two, it's forgiveness. This is at the heart of the Gospel. You have to repent. You have to turn from your sins. You have to actually see that the way you're walking and living is not a good way. Notice that the text says that repentance is given, it's granted, You can't do this on your own. Even God, by His Spirit and grace, will open up your eyes to help you see you're not walking in the right path. Repentance is granted from God. But you know what I love? I love what happens when you repent, you get the forgiveness of sins. I pray that that ministers to some of you today when you understand if you're walking away from God, when you come back, God's love and His mercy and grace will be bestowed upon you because at the heart of the cross is forgiveness. So Peter here lays out the reality of the Gospel. Notice in verse 32, look what you receive when you get the Gospel. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. The fundamental chief characteristic of discipleship is obedience. Let's continue on. Just want to say as a side note, I don't think the religious leaders were too fired up about what just went down. I want to just say this for all of you who God has put a call in your life to preach the gospel. For those of you who feel a deep passion to understand this important reality of not just with your life, but with your heart and with your words, preaching the gospel. There will be some times where you preach the gospel and see tremendous fruit, where God will open up the hearts of the receivers and give them the greatest gift that has ever been given to man. But notice the response of the Jewish council. There weren't a lot of people coming and laying their burdens at the feet of Jesus. Jesus. They were frustrated and upset and intended to kill them. There will be times when you preach the gospel and you get nothing. Our job as followers of Christ is to be faithful and to leave the results to Him. Look at verse 33. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they intended to kill them. Now I believe this is one of the most important points in the history of the church Notice that God gave the message of Jesus Christ to the apostles. These were the 12 men that were speaking the message of Jesus. Notice now that the religious leaders are so distraught, they are about to kill the apostles. Now from an earthly perspective here, you could actually see That the message of Jesus Christ could be stopped at this very point, but our God cannot be stopped. He is completely sovereign and in control and uses Gamaliel, a teacher and a Pharisee, in a powerful way. Look at verse 34. A Pharisee named Gamaliel. Later in the book of Acts, we learn that Gamaliel ends up being Paul's mentor. I was talking to Rob this week. He said, still today... In Israel, Gamaliel is still considered one of the greatest Jewish rabbis in the history of Israel. Notice that the power that this man has. He's respected by all the people. He stands up in front of the council and gives these guys orders. Now, I can't imagine that there's a lot of people in that day that could stand before the Jewish council and give them orders what to do, but Gamaliel does so. He says in verse 34, Hey guys, before this thing goes sideways, take these guys outside and let's catch some fresh air. Look at verse 35. Men of Israel, take care. Caution, guys, of what you're about to do. He gives them two examples in verse 36. For some time ago, Thutis, who needed a new name, rose up and claiming about 400 men with him, he was killed. And all the people that were with him, they became nothing. Verse 37, Then Judas of Galilee rose up in a census and drew away from the people. He too is gone, and all those guys that were with him, they scattered. So I say to you in this present case, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, mainly you guys trying to control this thing, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God... You will not be able to overthrow them, hence you be found fighting him. Guys, this message just summarizes the entire reality of the sermon today. Our God cannot be stopped. God is completely sovereign in every way and uses Gamaliel in power to change the minds of the religious leaders. Notice this. Look at verse 40. They took his advice. That's the best decision they've made in a really long time. And this brings us to our third point. The Christian life will be marked by suffering for Christ. They took His advice and after calling the apostles in, they beat them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Now in Jewish tradition, when someone would be whipped or flogged, or beaten, it was said that they would do this with 39 lashes. It was actually Old Testament law that you were forbidden to beat someone more than 40 times. Just take a minute and just put the images of the passion of the Christ in your mind for a moment. That's what was happening to all 12 of these men. You see, the Christian life will always be marked by suffering for Jesus. There's many things that I could say about suffering. And I don't think it's a coincidence that things got really quiet here for a moment. But I want to focus on two things about suffering. And one clearly is in the text. Notice how the apostles are suffering. They are suffering because of their obedience to God. They are not suffering for sin. They face the Jewish council and they say we must obey God Rather than men, they are suffering for their allegiance to God. They are not suffering for sin. There are two types of suffering in this world. One is for your faith in Jesus Christ. The other type of suffering is for your disobedience and your poor choices to God. 1 Peter 4.15 says, Make sure that none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. As I will tell you this this morning that one of the overall theme messages in the New Testament is suffering for Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. The Christian life will be marked by suffering. The second thing that I want to do because I believe you can talk about suffering until you're blue in the face. I believe when we talk about suffering for many of us, it just goes in, one ear and out the other, because this is not a reality in the church today. I believe that happens mainly because a lot of us, and even myself included, do not have a proper and biblical theology of suffering. So I want to tackle it this way. I want to ask you this question. What is the number one most popular question asked about our God in our world today? every Christian and every non-Christian at some point or another in their life has asked this question about God. You know what it is? Exactly. If God is so loving, then why do bad things happen to good people? We've all asked it. Some of you are like, man, I'm so glad I came to church today. I've been wanting an answer to this question for a long time. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint I'm not going to answer that question. Because that question is a joke. I'm not going to answer that question until we ask the question properly. Here's how you ask that question properly. How on earth can a holy and righteous God who knows what I did and thought and said on yesterday, not kill me in my sleep last night. Until you ask the question that way, you don't understand the issue. Until you ask the question that way, you believe that the problem is out there. Until you ask the question that way, you believe that there are some individuals who in and of themselves deserve something other than the wrath and judgment of Almighty God. When you ask the question the first way, you believe in the supremacy of man. You believe that you exist for God to bless your agenda For this world. When you ask the question the second way, the biblical and godly way, you believe in the supremacy of Christ. You believe that we exist for His glory and we are only at His mercy. When you come to this understanding in your heart, now you can rejoice for suffering for Christ because you believe that every breath you get is a gift. Every meal we partake is a gift. Every conversation that I have with you is a gift. And every season of pain, every trial Every season of suffering is a gift from the Lord. Guys, Neil Martin was on his back for eight years. You know what he told me? Gift. Josh Buck, who was paralyzed from the waist down, who broke his neck, was with me this week with tears in his eyes, and he said, Derek, gift. Gary Stowe, who's in the audience today, who lost his daughter over a year ago, was in my office this last week, and through the deepest possible pain, gift. You see, you start to realize how awesome our God is when you realize where we go and what we should deserve and we realize that anything else that He gives us is a gift from our Lord. I really believe this, guys, that the Christian life will be marked by suffering and the two most powerful displays of the gospel that we have in our world today are marriage and suffering. This is how the apostles, through their understanding, through this perspective and their love for Jesus, can respond the way they do in verse 41. It is so inspiring. After they're beaten, they go off from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Second Timothy one eight says, "Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, according to the power of God." Well, I love how this story ends in verse forty two. Notice the continued obedience of the apostles every day in the temple. And from house to house, I love this, in church and in small groups, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Well, as we close this morning, I just want to say I've spent a lot of time this week in light of this passage just really being in awe of the apostles through this amazing story. I started asking myself questions like this. How is it that these men could lay hands on people and heal them? How is it that the apostles, after being thrown into prison, could have such courage to go back and preach the gospel? How is it that Peter and these men, who knowingly were going to be killed for their faith, could respond and say from their heart that we must obey God rather than men? How is it that these men, after being beaten, whipped, Flogged while suffering unthinkable pain, could walk away rejoicing for suffering for the name of Jesus. I believe the key to this entire passage is in verse 32. Let's look at it together. We glossed over it earlier, but this is the key to the entire text. Verse 32 says, And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. You see, the apostles could behave this way and act this way because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. As this isn't something new, Jesus laid this out in the first chapter of Acts. In Acts 1-8, He set the table for the entire book when He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Peter in the Gospels, He wouldn't stand up to a servant girl. Now filled with the Spirit, he stands up to the Jewish council, teaching and preaching the gospel in the midst of his death. Difference, difference, difference. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And John filled with the Holy Spirit. And the apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. Crossroads Bible Church, this is the best news of the day. So awesome. If you are in Christ, you have this same power. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. The church of Jesus Christ, when filled with the Spirit, is an unstoppable force for God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible and inspiring story. God, thank you for how it's ministered to me this week. And Lord, if I'm honest, with you and these people, I feel like that's the last word that I would use to describe me. I don't feel unstoppable at all. But God, I know that your desire is to fill me in every way with your Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, be filled with the Spirit. Maybe just right now you're like, Derek, I want to be filled with the Spirit. How, How do I do that? Well, just start here. Confess all known sin to the Lord right now, right where you're at in your own heart. Just confess your sin to the Lord. It's such an incredible and freeing opportunity to present your sin to the Lord. First 1 John 1, 1.9 says, If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Lord, this is how I've grieved you. This is how I failed you this week, God. I just confess it. I I repent. Forgive me, Lord. Secondly, the Scripture says we have not because we ask not. So just ask Him right now, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? What an awesome reality that God's desire is to fill you with the Spirit of Christ Just say, fill me now, Lord. Maybe just as a sign of your faith to Jesus, just open up your palms before Him, just wanting to receive the Holy Spirit, just as a sign. I can't see your hands, but God can. He sees your heart. He knows in this moment every desire that you want is to put the death, the deeds of the flesh and to be filled with the Spirit. And then lastly, just believe. Just believe that what you have asked he has done, and desire to worship him now with all of your life. So God, as we respond to you this morning, I pray that your gospel would do what your gospel always does. Would you comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable?